thank you for Matt. I thank you for his life and his, his, uh, God, his mind that you've blessed him with. God, I pray that from Matt you would teach us, God, that you would also in this moment even teach him, God, that your spirit would just descend upon him in this moment, God. Just give him a, an anointing or gifting right now as he's going through a text with us, God. So that way we can learn more about you. That way he can learn more about you. And that way we would be more conformed into the image of your son. God, that we would even see those impurities in our own heart, God. That we would be refined as by fire. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we won't be in this evening. You can start the recording right now. Um, we will not be in Genesis. We won't be in First Samuel or Jeremiah or Isaiah. We will be in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, where we are in this whole story of the Gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, he is... In the middle of his ministry, he's, uh, he's living with his disciples. He hasn't yet come to uh, his, uh, his suffering. He's in the middle of uh, training these people, uh, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Um, but they don't yet have the full picture. Uh, and so in Luke chapter 10, we have a uh, rather well-known story where Jesus sends out uh, many of his believers to go preach without him. Um, he sends 70 of them. Uh, so he has, Jesus has... A very close circle of, of, of three people, James, uh, John, and Peter. And then he has his close 12 disciples. But he also had many disciples besides that. And so here we see him asking them to take everything that he's been teaching them as he's lived with them, and he's sending them out uh, to go uh, do the work. And so if you look with me, and uh, I'll just read from verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one along the road. And I'll stop there. Um, so the thing I really want you guys to, to focus on uh, this night is uh, this harvest that Jesus speaks about. Uh, many times we have in the Bible a picture of sowing and planting, and um, uh, Paul talks about how one person plants, another person waters, and God makes it grow, uh, about planting those seeds, and God will give the increase. And here we have the picture of a harvest, which is almost like the other end of the spectrum, because he says, look at the fields. They've already all grown up. All we need to do is bring in the harvest. So, um, from Jesus' perspective, many of these people are already, they're ready to hear this gospel of the, of the kingdom of God. Um, but you just need the laborers to go out there. And so, when you look, uh, it, if this was true back then, before Jesus died and rose again, I believe it is even more true today. When you look out uh, at the city of Lewiston, when you look out at your friends and your family, what, what do you see? Do you see... Um, just like dead crops, things that you have to start from scratch? Or do you see that as an opportunity of people ready to hear the gospel? Do you look at them like Donald Trump looks at the electoral vote in Maine? Do you want it that bad? Um, so as he's sending them out, he, uh, he appoints these 72 others. And as I was saying, like, these, are, uh, these are pretty close disciples to him. And you might 
think he appointed them because they're, they're super awesome and they know all this stuff about the kingdom. Um, but as an encouragement, I would say these people were just rebuked in chapter 9 because they didn't, uh, they were calling down fire from heaven against this uh, other city. And Jesus is like, no, um, you're doing that out of self-indication. These people didn't fully understand the gospel. They didn't understand that Christ had to suffer on the cross for our sins and to res- resurrect from the dead. So these are not super equipped people. He's just sending them out with the knowledge that they do have. And in, in verse 1, he says, he sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So the two by two thing is really interesting because at Cell, we, we're very much a promoter of something called the armor bearer. Uh, and we're a big advocates of not going out and trying to do everything yourself because God created us for community. Later on, we're going to read that he calls us sheep. And one of the things about sheep is they stick together. They're in a herd. They not only do they have to stay close to their shepherd, but they stay close to each other because um, they're very vulnerable. Uh, they're very uh, prone to being attacked. And when they stick together, they're able to, to fight that much better. So I know many of you, uh, personally, I know many of you have uh, that companion in Christ where you, you, you fight together, you confess your sins together, you grow together. Uh, and truly, there's nothing so uh, precious as that. And Jesus made this his design, that when we go out into battle, just as when we're in our family, we, we go back to back so that we can help each other. And so when he sends them to every town and place where he himself was about to go, uh, essentially, um, the encouragement there is that he's sending the people out in front of him uh, to prepare his way. Because ultimately... Uh, whatever happens with them and their message, Jesus Christ is going to come after. And it is at that point uh, where these cities and these towns, they're either going to reject him or they're going to receive him. And so uh, when you go out into this harvest, um, you are basically preparing the way for the Lord. And it is not your job to um, make sure all these people are saved. I know um, it is very difficult, especially with family and close friends. We see them, we get frustrated that they don't understand the gospel, but our, our prerogative, our, um, what we've been entrusted with is to go out, take what Jesus has taught us as he's walked with us throughout these years, and go give it to these people, because one day, these people are going to, uh, they're going to have an encounter with Jesus, whether on this earth or in, the next, or in the life to come, and there will be a dividing line where they either receive him or they reject him, because um, there is no in-between. And so Jesus will not send you anywhere that he is not going to go himself. Uh, in, in verse 2, he says to them, Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So um, this really got me thinking about the way I pray uh, for people's salvation. Uh, I often find myself just praying that they would just get it, they would just uh, be saved. Um, but when I read this, it made me think of, um, of Paul in Romans where he's like, well, how can they call on him whom they haven't believed? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one is sent out to preach to them? So obviously God could save these people without us. In fact, he, he has done it. He saved Paul from, from uh, speaking to him from heaven. But normally God delights in using his children to spread his gospel. He takes these these little sheep that are very vulnerable and fragile, and he uses them to find other sheep. So after he says, pray for God to send laborers into harvest, you're praying for these people to be sent 
so that the gospel uh, is proclaimed. Uh, right after that, he says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you. So when you, when you pray for laborers to be sent out into the harvest, and it may not be just for preaching the gospel, it may be for, uh, for feeding the poor or uh, saving people's necks, uh, whatever you're doing, when you are worried and burdened about people and you pray for them, one of the goals that God has in mind is that he will make you be the answer to that prayer. So when you uh, pray for people, think of yourself. Think of yourself being the answer to that prayer. And that is, a, that is one of the reasons I think it's very necessary to pray for your enemies uh, and pray for those who, who are against you and pray for those who have hurt you. Um, because when you do that, you're going to get a burden and you're going to want to serve them. It's a very funny thing. The more you do stuff for people, the more you start to love them and the more you'll be able to be uh, used by God to reap this, this harvest that he has set out before you. And so he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And I already talked about lambs a little bit, how they, um, lambs have to stick together. There's all kinds of other things uh, about sheep that, that's really important. The, the vulnerability of them um, is very glorifying to God. In the next verse, he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one along the road. Uh, what he's saying is, let me provide for you. You don't, need, uh, you don't need all this stuff. It's good to be prepared. But honestly, God is way more glorified when the weakest of the weak are sent out and they preach his gospel than if a super intelligent, super prideful guy goes, goes and does the exact same thing. It says that, uh, I, think, I think Paul says that, uh, it has pleased God to use the foolish things in this world to shame the wise. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So to be a sheep is a beautiful thing because it means you get to be weak. And everything that you do as a sheep, you ultimately you glorify God because he's the one empowering you to do that. Uh, and the last thing about being a sheep uh, has a lot to do with suffering. He says you're as lambs in the midst of wolves. Uh, and we, when we think of, of knowing Christ um, and knowing his, his resurrection, there's no way that we can truly know him and truly be conformed to his image without uh, suffering. Christ came into the world. He could have come as a lion and just destroyed everyone and inaugurated his kingdom right away, but he decided to come as the lamb of God so that he could take away our sins. And if we want to know, um, if we want to know him and if we want to truly be Christ's representatives on this earth, we must learn what it means to be a lamb, learn what it means to be weak. Uh, and that is why he calls us lambs. It, it sounds terrible. He's sending, he's taking all these people he's discipled and he's sending them out to the wolves to be eaten. Uh, but this is the way that, that he went himself. This is the way that he chose. And remember that this suffering is not the end uh, of your Christian walk. It's all building an eternal glory. The suffering looks forward to the resurrection. Paul says uh, in Philippians 3, he says that I might know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So if you want to know uh, what it truly means to be born again, if you want to know the power in that resurrection and new life, uh, then the only way to do that is to go share in those sufferings of Christ. It is not uh, something that you, that you dread. Uh, or you dread it, you dread it in a, in a right way. Uh, you dread it in the way that Christ did, uh, where it says in Isaiah 53 that in the midst of all of his suffering, uh, he sees and is satisfied. He looks 
towards that reward. And with Christ as our reward and the reward of uh, seeing other people be released and come into the kingdom, we can look and be satisfied in the midst of that suffering, even as uh, these wolves will devour many of us. Uh, So in verse 5, he says, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So the first thing that we do as representatives of God's kingdom is to proclaim peace. And it says, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Um, Now, when we think of peace, uh, you might have a very one-sided view of it. When you think of all the wars in the Middle East, you think of even the racial tension we have here. Um, Perhaps if the rebels in Syria and the governments stopped fighting each other for a few minutes, we'd call that peace. But that is really just a ceasefire. That's just delaying uh, what really needs to be done. So when we talk about peace in the Bible, we talk about shalom. We are talking about right relationship. We're talking about um, uh, a fruitful relationship and a a positive thing, not just a a negative thing. So when we proclaim peace to people, we are giving them what Paul calls the gospel of peace. In Romans 5.1, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what that means is, because of Christ's death, because Christ fulfilled that vocation of being the perfect human being on our behalf, we are no longer his enemies when we put our trust in him. So our goal here is not to proclaim judgment as, as the disciples did in Luke 9. They wanted to call down judgment on these Samaritans. But as long as people are willing to listen, our goal is to give people peace, as long as they are still on this earth. We go down to Planned Parenthood, and the people there have heard the gospel over and over and over again. But the fact that they are still alive and the fact that God is sending preachers down there to even the most stubborn of hearts means that they're getting another chance to have peace. We speak, honestly, we speak very harshly to them because of um, them and many other people because of uh, the weight of their sin and how that, how that affects God. But at the same time, we never give people the law. We never give people judgment without teaching them peace, without giving them that solution. And so, uh, brothers and sisters, there are many people that you know that do not have this, this peace with God. And oftentimes, especially myself, we will opt for a ceasefire in the household. We will opt for a ceasefire. We just don't want conflict, um, but we don't actually get to the heart of the issue. Um, some people, honestly, they don't have, they're not, you know, they're not addicted to drugs. You know, they're doing well financially. They're quite satisfied with their life, but they don't know God. And so they don't have peace with him. That is not, um, that is not going to last them uh, on the day of judgment. And so we cannot ignore these things. We have to have this ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul, Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. And so just as Christ enabled this peace in the world through his death and resurrection, he sends us out to represent him, uh, to be those peace bearers in the world, to be uh, reconciling people to God. So that not only when the kingdom of God comes are they going to be safe from his wrath, but they will be children of God. They will be, uh, they will be uh, vindicated, as Tanya was saying. They will be, they'll be just before him. Uh, and we're going to see more of that in a moment. So, 
Verse 6 is interesting. It says, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. So when I think of this son of peace, he's saying you're going out to the city, you're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to these people, and you might find this uh, a son of peace or a daughter of peace. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Acts chapter 18 where Paul is in Corinth and the Lord tells him in a vision not to go on. He tells him to stay here because I have many in the city who are my people. So when you look out in Lewiston, you look out in Portland or wherever you're from, there are a lot of people out there that are gods. They're lost sheep, but they haven't had that reconciliation yet. They're just waiting to hear the gospel. They're waiting for laborers to be sent out. But people haven't gone out because they, are, uh, they may be intimidated. They may think it's hopeless. You look, oh, they're Muslims. They'll never come to Christ. Oh, they're, they're addicted to their drugs. Or they're, they're satisfied. They have all the money they want. We don't think like Christ thinks. We don't think harvest. We don't think that the harvest is plentiful and that these people are ripe for the picking. We're not, we're not even as motivated as politicians are to go and get these people and give them to Christ uh, because they, they belong to him. So you'll find a son of peace and they will receive you. However, it says, but if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So when these people receive you, your message is that the kingdom of God has come near. This kingdom of God was, uh, was brought about in Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. When after his resurrection, Christ rose up to the right hand of the Father on high. And so, when we proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you, that is very good news to people who are children of God. That means that despite whatever is going on right now, that as this kingdom is uh, brought about, they will, be, they will be vindicated and all evil all their suffering, all their pain will be removed and it will, it will produce a glory for them. And this is a beautiful thing to proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. However, verse 10, it says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So when people receive you, your message is that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when people reject you and they reject the gospel, what do you say? That the kingdom of God has come near. Because this same message that Jesus Christ is king and that Jesus is reigning right now is very scary and very fearful for people who are his enemies and people who don't have peace with God. Um, we see the incredible, incredible patience of God. Uh, the fact that Christ came down and didn't destroy us, the fact that he's given us 2,000 years approximately so far uh, to turn to him shows his incredible, incredible patience. But uh, as we read in Psalm 110, he must reign until he has crushed every enemy under his feet. Christ is not going to wait forever. He is destroying his enemies one by one. And if you are still his enemy, when he does that, when he no, it's no longer pleasing to him to give that patience, then this kingdom of God will be a very fearful, fearful thing for you. Uh, we were talking down in Portland about how um, the nations say, where is your God? But we respond by saying, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Christ is 
in heaven as the God-man, as the perfect man, and as God himself, God in the flesh. Uh, and he is doing what he pleases. Right now, it pleases him that he sends out his sheep to gather these other sheep. Right now, it pleases him that his gospel is proclaimed in the city of Lewiston, in the city of Portland, and in this state. Um, but one day, it will please him to take the world back for himself. And when that happens, uh, the nations will no longer be mocking. They will no longer be saying, where is your God? Uh, the kings of this earth will, will be so small before him. It says that every mouth will be stopped. Um, and after this, he proclaims a judgment to many of these cities for, for not believing uh, in the works of God. And finally, in verse 16, he says, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You right now, if you are a child of God, uh, brothers and sisters, you are what people have of Christ in this world. He has, uh, not only has God created you in his image to represent him on earth, but if you are a believer in Christ, you represent Christ on this earth. And you are the means by which God is going to preach his gospel. People don't, normally people don't come to Christ by a dream or a vision or God contacting them directly. Normally, it pleases God to take these, these weak, fragile beings uh, to go find his other weak, fragile beings because we are all, uh, we're all starving in the desert and we're all looking for the same, for the same life. So uh, that means you don't have to... Um, it doesn't matter if you've been walking with Christ for 20 years or if you've been walking with him for a few months because if you're a child of his then you are one of those appointed 72. You have been appointed by God to preach this gospel if, if uh, you are obedient to it. And this gospel is the same for everyone. It is Jesus Christ is king. We don't say that uh, Jesus Christ is only king to Christians. He is king to everyone. And so we urge people to, uh, to bow the knee now. And it is not, uh, it is not a, uh, a dreadful thing to do. Uh, truly, it to follow Christ is to take joy in who he is. Um, in Psalm 37, it speaks of delighting ourselves in Yahweh, and he will fulfill the desires of our heart. So when we praise God, it is not merely because God is an egomaniac and he needs all this praise to keep up his, his persona. He does it for our own good. Because as human beings, we were made to worship. We were made uh, to give our service to God. But what we do is we worship our idols, we worship ourselves, and that is what destroys us. That is what, uh, that is what gives us a debased mind. God gives us over to our own desires when we do that. And it is so self-destructive. So when you bend the knee to Christ, you're not doing it all reluctantly like, oh, I, I, like a, a, a man doing things that he hates uh, to please God is just a lost man with religion. But when you are changed by the Spirit of God, uh, as I said uh, in verse 1, Jesus Christ is going to come and he's going to act on that word that you've given people. And so either they're going to be awakened and they're going to be uh, brought back to life by the Spirit of God or they will reject him. So you are entrusted with the words of the gospel and God will bring that about.
I know that many, um, many, even in this room, have never had that peace with God. Even as brother, my brothers and sisters, we struggle having that peace with God. We, we don't understand grace, and we don't understand uh, what was truly accomplished on the cross. Because of that, we often feel that God rejects us. But it's because we, we don't think of ourselves as, as sheep. We think of ourselves as, uh, as worthy servants, that uh, we mix up our, our own efforts into this gospel of the kingdom. It is, it is true that we have to bend the knee to Christ, but that comes through him enabling us. And so I urge you, just cling to Christ. What I'm saying here is not a, uh, a works righteousness where you just you muster up all that you can do. You muster up the best of yourself, and then you try to be a good servant. You try to, you know, you go into the harvest, do the best you can. That is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that you need to flee to Christ, flee into his arms, and enjoy who he is, truly know him. This is for my brothers and my sisters, and for those who are lost, it is the same. It is the same. Believe on Christ. You must be born again. Read a simple, something as simple as John 3.16, where you hear of God's God's simple love towards the world that he would send his only son uh, to, die, to die for sinners such as us. I pray, my prayer is that every one of you will know the peace of God and that when we uh, go out there, we will not uh, look at people callously. We will not uh, forget what kind of world we're living in where uh, the majority, when we, go, when we go outdoors and we spread the gospel, there's much rejection that goes on. But the reason that we keep going is that we know we are not the ones in charge of people's salvation. So I pray that you would know this peace, but also be a peacemaker. Uh, and it says, what does Jesus say about the peacemakers? He says that they are sons of God. So if we take that the other way around, if you're a son of God, your job is to bring about peace. Bring peace to people. Once you have, once you have fought for it yourself, which is a very uh, difficult thing, uh, it's very difficult to, to just accept the gospel and just uh, run to the arms of Christ. But once you do, you have something so precious and so powerful that no religion is going to bring you. And that is why I'm confident about uh, uh, the many different demographics in this city, the many different people in this entire state. Uh, there is a great, great harvest, and I know that God has many people there. It is just that... Uh, we need to believe that. We need to act like it's true. Dear God, I, I pray for everyone here. I pray for myself as a, in my callousness and that I have, uh, I have failed in this regard as, uh, more than anyone. Lord, I pray that your peace would be known in this city, your peace would be known in this church, that your own people would come back to their first love and that they would just remember the sweet, uh, the sweet sacrifice that you made on our behalf. To know not only did you clear us of our sins, but you adopted us. And you, you made us precious in your sight. We are a treasure in your eyes. And I pray that that would bring us true peace. That we wouldn't continue to look upon ourselves and, uh, and have uh, fits and starts uh, 
and get all uh, get all excited and then get depressed and have these uh, have such a roller coaster of, of emotions. But we would be stable, uh, knowing the foundation of our faith rests not in ourselves but in you. God, please empower us, fill us with your Spirit, that we might bring this peace to the lost, to those who have not heard of your name, and also to those that have rejected you. God, we know that you show mercy to everyone uh, in this city. You give them breath every morning. I pray that they would see. I pray that you would take the seeds that we plant and you would bring a great increase from it. God, I pray for boldness, but also, uh, but also a, a resting in you when we don't see uh, the fruit right away. Uh, we praise you for your word. We thank you for uh, the example you set before us, and we thank you uh, that we have the privilege uh, of following your example in taking up our cross, but also in the beauty and the power of the resurrection. God, let us understand this ever, uh, ever so, uh, so much more deeply. We pray it uh, in your precious name. Amen. Stand and sing with us. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.